Welcome to the Theatre of Others podcast. My name is Adam Marple, and I'm the co-artistic director of the Theatre of Others. With the COVID-19 pandemic forcing a shutdown and re-evaluation of space and gathering, we at the Theatre of Others are thinking about what stories we need and how best we can share them. We believe space is psychology, and it informs the way in which an audience interacts and reacts to what is presented to them. We create uniquely theatrical events in bespoke sensory performance spaces crafted to encourage curiosity and grant the audience permission to commune with the play. Now that that space has moved online, how can we encourage interaction and action amongst an audience virtually? The Theatre Brothers produces plays that both welcome and challenge the audience. We are committed to international collaboration and are a laboratory that helps artists grow through intensive study of their craft. The Theatre Brothers creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purpose of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and times. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary and they are witness to what happens. And you get to be witness to us making that happen. The purpose of this podcast is to open up our process and let you in. We're peeling back the curtain, so to speak, and encouraging you to follow along, to ponder, prod, and question, to join us and criticize us if need be. Being a witness is no passive task, and it requires much from you. Are you up for the journey? On the podcast today from Melbourne, Australia, our co-artistic directors, Woody Miller, and myself in Cairo, Egypt. This podcast contains explicit language. Hi, Adam. Hi, Booty. How are you going? I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing really good. Look at my look at my backdrop. Mm, mm, yeah. I'm yeah. in I'm in the forest. You are. Well, I, I mean, I guess technically I'm, I'm in the forest as well. You are? How pray tell, how could you be in the forest as well? I mean, I'm in the same house as you. I'm in one room away, so. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? What are, are people just now joining the podcast and not have listened for the last four? <laughs> well, look, I, I'm always I'm always looking to bring in a new audience because there's always room for people to learn more about us if they haven't already learned it at all. That's true. That's very true. That's very true. You're right. Yes. Yes, so, everyone. We are in the forest. We are in the forest. We are at we are at the Emerald Palace at Booty's second home in the forest on the retreat, working on the PhD performance. It's it's been fantastic. Yeah. It's been a really good time. It's been a really good time. Yeah, it has been really good. I I, I tell you, my life is my life is forever changed through all this work. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Are you gonna stay? Well, if your government would allow me, yeah, I would. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we could take one more white man in. <laughs> yeah. If that's what Australia needs, is it's another white man. That's that's what they're that's what they're desperately lacking. That's what they're desperately lacking in. Um is is, is in white men. Yeah. But but well, if they would let but if they would let me migrate here under legal uh, circumstances, I would absolutely do so. I think you should just be like a refugee, a theater refugee. That's what it is. You're a mm. theater refugee. Mm. From all the bad theater uh, <laughs> in the rest of the world? Is that what's happening? <laughs> yeah. From all of the bad theater in the rest of the world, you have to get out. You have to get to, you have to, get to mediocre theater. I, theater. I, 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 put, I put that on my, on my form. What are, you, what are you running from? I'm running for bad theater. That's... that's um... <laughs> <laughs> Please save me. Help me. I'm dying here. I'm dying. 
If but, I go, you if, know, this is the if, thing. Yeah. What, 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 what? what it, so if I go back to my home country, I'll have to watch bad theaters is what I have to sell them. That's the, that's the fear. Yeah. That's what I yeah. need to. Uh, if you go back to America, you have to watch bad theater. If you go back to New York, you have to watch bad theater. Ah, it's already sounding like it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Because they uphold they uphold American theater as like the theater, and you know they're so innovative, and they're you know you know they're not doing anything here in Australia because it's all happening in in America, you know. And and I think the problem is, the problem is is their export whiteness in this country. That's their main export, and the lenses that need to be turned in on what actually is the huge value of this country. I mean, the, the, you've, we've, been talk, we've talked about this so many times, mm-hmm. about the Aboriginal indigenous culture and, and 65,000 years of making theater and singing and dancing and disseminating information about the stars, about the land, about the 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 animals. I mean like it is like it's like an archaeological uh, what uh, an agricultural archaeological archaeological phenomena through song, through dance, through movement, through expression, through what makes us human, through the through the through the commune. Mm. You know, and 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 it it, it it just makes me so fucking angry when they when they it's 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 as, it's as if listeners it's as if African American theater never existed uh-huh. to 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 not even know that there's a huge community of theater artists actors directors writers. The, and I'm not even I'm not even gonna go the sixty five thousand year route that are that are currently here today and that have been around and that have had an, a movement of making theater and a movement of making art and a movement of making film. And what happens when a country literally shuts down access and how the human being is stronger than a, a, an entire government that what doesn't support. A people's growth and development. It's the, and I think the resilience, the resilience of the indigenous people here is what I love the most. I mean, who else can say 65,000 years, baby? 65,000 years, baby. Who else can say that? Oh my, you know what? I just, I just segued. I'm sorry. I had to segue. Cause <laughs> you know, we got somebody, we got some, we got some, um, we got some people up on this show. We got the people's here. <laughs> Yeah, some people. Who do we have here? Who do we have here, Adam? What? Well, why don't you do the introduction? <laughs> Hand it over to me. I, I'm so I'm being introduced happy. and I'm being schooled today. I'm I'm go, I'm going I'm being taken to the office. That's what I'm here for. Well, you know, you about to know, knowing this individual, you are about to be taken to church, baby. Mm-hmm. We're about the we are, we are about to start the bonfire. We're going to start spread the smoke. And we are going in to church right now in all the best ways about it. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary conforming individuals, please put your hands together for Tiriki Honest. Yay! Now, now, before he before I let him take this space because he's about to take the space, mm-hmm. I want y'all to know 
how amazing this man is. This is just, a, a, and, I, and I do mean this literally, this is just a scratch of what he does. <laughs> a scratch. So he is the senior lecturer of Indigenous Art and Culture at the University of Melbourne, the, the, at the Victorian College of the Arts, head of the Willen Center, associate dean Indigenous, deputy dean in place, I mean, and th- and this is just what he's doing at the university. We're not even talking about what he does professionally. He is a co- he is he is one of Australia's, in my opinion, he's one of Australia's best actors. This boy on stage is no joke. He is no joke, y'all. And he's a trained opera singer, so he's got he's got the he's got the vocal folds. <laughs> But please, please give it up for Tiriki Ones. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I'm somewhat intimidated by myself now, so entirely sure how this is going to go. But I'll do, my, I'll do my, I'll do my level best. Yeah, it's it's a strange when you. I mean, the, the world does seem to. We live in the world of labels, right? And it loves to yeah. put labels, and, and I. I find increasingly, you know, that I, I, I get these these wonderful titles that I'm given. I never know quite where to put them or or what to do with them because at my heart, I think I'm still just that confused fifteen year old kid that got trotted in front of the careers counsellor at school. Tom, his name was lovely fellow, but Tom sat me down and very earnestly said to me, "Now, Tiriki, what do you want to do with your life?" <laughs> And I said, oh, I was 15, you know. Like, Jesus Christ, I don't know, Tom. I just want to make shit. <laughs> and largely, I've found that's kind of what's happened. I just get to make shit and then people either like it or they don't and occasionally someone will, will say something nice and, uh, <laughs> and give you a fancy title to go along with it. But at the at its core, for me, there is this idea of, of making shit and being out there, I come from this line of, of artists and makers, and I'm I'm really fortunate that largely it's because of them. It's because of the work that other people have done and the sacrifices I've made and the shoulders of those that I get to stand on that I now get to have platforms and do what I do and and tell the stories that that move me and. And inspire me, and I'm lucky that I've been around so many extraordinary people that I've picked up a lot of those skills. You know, I've, I've been a visual artist and a performer, and decided for a while to be an opera singer and whatever else. But it has been because of a tradition of practice that's been handed on to me. And I, I mean, I, I can I can talk in 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 broad and and poetic terms about about those same 65,000 years that you uh, you speak of or or even more I mean 65,000 is probably a conservative estimate but right exactly and yeah and absolutely <laughs> well, exactly. And, and absolutely you know I I, 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 I totally draw on that narrative in those traditions but also it's this it's all of these immediate generations too and uh, a culture of of performative resistance that mm. allows me to be here and means that there are, there are people now who actually sometimes listen to the things 
that I say, but that's only because we're playing an intergenerational game here. And there have been generations that have gone before that weren't listened to but still kept this stuff going. It's it's quite um, quite extraordinary. So I do have imposter syndrome constantly, but don't we all? That's uh, that's fine. But it is a great joy to, to be here with you and to be talking about this stuff because I think it's – there are whole swathes of our of our shared history and understanding which have been denied to us, and there's a whole bunch of stories of strength and resistance and resilience that that I draw on every day, and I feel tremendously sorry for everyone around me that don't have access to those stories. Mm-hmm. So, Turkey, for our audience, because um, you have such a special um, understanding of the history of of indigenous theater in australia the history of of racism in australia the 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 visibility of indigenous people in australia you have a really beautiful intersection in that in that place can you t- can you talk about how you intersect in that place and to also to share with the rest of the world be- that don't even know that this is happening here in australia because they still believe that that there's only white people in Australia still. Hmm. Or that when we do see Aboriginal people, we're all one homogenous, undifferentiated other that look like the back 100%. of a two dollar coin. Hundred sure. percent. Mm. Please talk on it. Speak on that, please. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I should also and and, and thank you for the um, for the tremendous uh, introduction and um, and the singing of my praises, which I'm still I'm still reeling from in a wonderful way, but. <laughs> I should also, in doing that, talk a bit about who I am and how I come to be here too. So my name is Tiriki Onis. I'm a Yorta Yorta and Jar Jar uh, artist, academic, maker, oftentimes of trouble. I've <laughs> not just been informed by my Yorta Yorta and Jar Jar ancestry, though I'm also Waveru, Darkinyung. Much of my cultural inheritance comes from the Munugun Jinang, I'm a McClintock, a Kloster, and a Schnaz. And I honour all of those narratives in this place because it's those that have brought me here. And in fact, some of the great heroes in my life and those whom I look up to have been family members that have gone before me who have decided to cast off their privilege or to even rather to mobilise the privilege that they have held in order to amplify the voices of others. That's been a really exciting part of the story for me in discovering those stories, stories which are almost another level down as well. You know, my, my grandmother came here shortly after the war from Glasgow in Scotland by way of Aotearoa, New Zealand. She came from a ridiculous, obscenely wealthy family. She wanted to be a doctor, but they wouldn't let men, women into the medical profession then. So she became a physiotherapist. That was as high as she could go. She couldn't stand the state of the world around her. Her father owned tenements all up and down through the poorest parts of Glasgow, just bled people dry. She decided to throw all of this off. She became a communist. Oh, she was a physiotherapist. Then she moved to New Zealand for the during the war because that was when you were a physiotherapist. She went to Rotorua to the hot spring baths and that was where you worked. After that, she came over to Melbourne and then at 
a Communist Party rally in 1947, at which, I might add, she was apparently voted Miss Communist Party 1947. <laughs> if, if, if you can imagine a less communist thing than having a less communist thing than having a buddy a pageant, but she was Miss Communist Party 1947, so the story goes. <laughs> at which point, at which point, she met my grandfather Delonis, who wasn't a communist, but in those days, the Communist Party were one of the few people who would listen to black activists. Mm-hmm. He came to speak at this rally. They met. They hit it off. They, um, Can we they fell in about, love, got married. I, I, want to do a little, I want to do a little segue here because yeah, yeah, so uh, people, people don't understand that in this country, the black people are the indigenous First Nations Aboriginal people. And, and black and, and and the meaning black fella is that's how we communicate with one another. Because as an American, when I first heard black fella, I was like, who are you calling a black fella? So, can, can, can you can you can you unpack absolutely. that before we move on? <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. Um, and and in you know, in, in some circles, we we also um, we strive to decolonize words uh, like black by in a, in the spelling. Oftentimes, we spell black b l a k. It's an act, you know, a lot of, in the ways many marginalized peoples throughout the world have done of taking. The um, the terms of classification that have been used for us, and instead owning them, repurposing them, making a space for our voice and our identity through a mould that has been set up for us to subvert the form, if you will. And so, this idea of of blackfellas is very much very much our own, and one which. I suppose it's not something that one is necessarily automatically uh, inculcated into. It's not that anyone just steps out and starts uh, starts using the term blackfellow, although I haven't got a, a huge problem with it when it's, when it's coming from us. But it's it's similar to um, the, the sort of terms that, that, that one would not use for... A person of color in North America, for instance, that has been, you know, which has now again similarly been um, been reappropriated and uh, and taken back. There's an ownership there, and so Blackfella sits very much uh, in that space. And we talk in that Blackfella, mm. Whitefella space uh, all the time. But it is you know, once once someone's in, once we've once 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 we've once we've brought someone into the fold, we're we're much mm-hmm. more. Uh, <laughs> Much more accepting about um, about the use of terms like black fella because it's ours and uh, yeah and why should it why should it not be because one of the th- challenges that we've had and I make the joke about the two dollar coin earlier on but it, it is a it is a significant one one of the challenges we've had is fighting the homogeneity or, or the homogenization I should mm. say of first peoples cultures in this country mm. that here we have a land here we have a land mass that's not more than twice the size of continental Europe with mm-hmm. anywhere from you know, 300 plus nations and language groups within that, each of those with anywhere from 15 to 50 clan groups and sub-dialects of language within that, vastly mm. different theological structures and systems, systems of government, but at the same time trade and exchange going between them all. 
hugely culturally, linguistically diverse and has existed, as you say, for tens of thousands of years, or as I often like to think of it, at least 3,000-plus generations of families maintaining and passing these stories on and on and on again. But Is the heat on? Yes. Come on. (laughs) But generally we just get to return into this undifferentiated other, which is a phrase coined by Marcia Langton back in the 90s, that we are just one thing. We do. We just. We are just one thing. We're not seen as being anything more, or um, or any way, in any way different or distinct. And so, in leaning into that, in acknowledging that we have a shared experience of invasion and the expropriation of land and culture and peoples, that terms like blackfellas sit very much in that space. It's a contemporary space where we. We come together in solidarity through our experience, but then at the same time, we're able to acknowledge the diversity. It's why I acknowledge you know, my Yorta Yorta ancestry. It's why I acknowledge my Jaja ancestry, my Waveru, my Darkinyung. It's why I acknowledge the fact that I'm sitting here right now on Bunwarung country, speaking to you here. I'm not, this isn't my traditional country here. I'm a guest. But it's through that love and generosity of elders and stakes people that has been shown to me. I've been able to do this, and my family indeed has been able to do this here. I've never actually lived on my traditional country. One day, one day it will happen. I'm I'm still still building up to it. But this idea of being working across borders, working between peoples and an authority of Indigenous voice, which stretches through all of that, is what kind of drives me on. And that's extraordinary. I love this. You do good. Yeah, continue, oh, Pierre. I'm, I'm just loving it. Just continue, please. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm. You got, no, no, you got, no, you got, no. The, you got the choir going. Amen, brother. Come on, continue. And then. <laughs> well, no, well, this is my jam. So this and this is where I come back to because in all of that, you know, people will talk to us about you know, the wonderful history. When, when it, oftentimes, when people want to talk to me about First Nations history and stories here, it, it all seems to stop in their minds in the 1770s and 1780s, and then something else starts. Rather, I don't think there Mm. is any change at this point. Rather, there has been a continual Mm. practice that has gone on. And I Mm. personally can draw back the work that I do now, whether it's it's playing around with with computers and emergent technologies or whether it's sewing a bunch of possum skins together with kangaroo sinew, those practices for me link all the way back. And part of the thing that I've become very passionate about has been telling some of those stories in between and acknowledging that one unbroken line which has remained extent, and it's remained extent through the dedication and the commitment of those who have fought oftentimes with their very lives to keep it there and that they haven't done that in a vacuum and they haven't done that alone, but there has been an authority of Indigenous voice which has led that. It's why people like my grandmother, who after coming here, meeting my grandfather, finally getting married, and at that point, at that point, that was finally the straw that broke the camel and she got disowned for uh, for running away to Australia and marrying a black man. Um, Mm -hmm. 
which so, to some degree shows a remarkable amount of tolerance on my great-grandparents' part. When they put up with the medical profession thing, they put up with the Communist Party, they put up with their running to the other side of the world. Uh, it, was, it, was marrying, it was marrying the black activist that was the, uh, was, the, final straw. Was the real kicker. <laughs> but she then got, she used all, she mobilised all of that privilege that she had and she and so many others like her have worked in these spaces to see to it that marginalised peoples here in this country and elsewhere have had a voice. And I think that's mm. a great, it's a great missing part of the puzzle sometimes. You know, when I meet people now and I say, oh, look, I'd really love to engage with Aboriginal culture and story, but, oh, but I don't know how. And I didn't, I didn't, didn't know where to find out. And I didn't know. And I didn't want to ask because I was worried that I would offend. Tyrkey, that's and what we, that's, that's, that's exactly, remember, that's what we did. When I, remember when I first came, it was like, mm-hmm. I was like, what? Uh, yeah, I, I would just engage. I didn't go into, this is because we're black. Black people, I was like, black people. And it was like, okay, so what are we doing? So what are we engaging with? It's like, I'm afraid to, like, they let the, they let the fear and their insecurity of lack of knowledge prevent them from actually engaging with the shame that's ultimately preventing them from opening their mouths and saying, hey, how would you do this? Exactly. And, you know, to some extent, I just get a bit sick and tired of carrying that for people. I'm just a little bit. I, it's just I've got my own shit kind of up in here yeah. going on, like never mind it. And I'm not particularly interested in carrying that, nor am I particularly interested in having conversations that come from places of deficit. Yeah. And this is something that for the, speak on for that. 41 speak on years that. of my speak on life. That. Educate, educate That's our where I'm going. what you yeah. mean by that. Yeah, come on now. Well, this is yeah, for the for the forty one years of my life, and I know for a fact for the for the lives of of numerous generations that have gone before me, the experience of Aboriginal Australia is always always seen through a lens of the deficit, and we still do it now. All of the government policy is focused around what Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people don't have. The government still mm. pushes initiatives like closing the gap. We worry about literacy and numeracy. And, yes, these things are, have their place and have their value. You know, we talk about the really heavy stuff like deaths in custody, the stolen generations, all of this. But we don't necessarily see that in a very productive, through a very productive lens or framework. Quite often times people want to talk to you about this stuff because that's how they've already defined you before you've even met them. That's what mm. we've been fed through through a dominant cultural narrative which says these people mm. are that. And I get to the point where I'm just not until the people around me that I work with, lovely people all, until they are appropriately resourced to be able to have these conversations, it is very, very difficult to be able to have the conversation in a productive way. And again, I end up having to carry that for people too, you know, and that's the, that's oftentimes is a real kicker. It's this idea of, I don't have the space to carry that for you necessarily as well, but go out and find out some of these stories of strength. 
don't talk to me about what happened. Talk to me about the people that have survived through this, the strength that is that is required to do that. Talk to me about how people have used their genius when every part of the world around you is trying to oppress and suppress and silence you to be able to innovate, and particularly in spaces like theatre and performance, to be able to take that which was illegal, the speaking of your language, Mm. the dancing of your dances, the singing of your songs, Mm. the practice of your culture and identity, to take that out Mm. of a form, out of a sonography, if you will, in which it has always existed, and instead to put that under a press arch on a stage in front of audiences of hundreds, if not thousands, and to hide all of that in plain sight, to bring children through in that same space, to actually teach them on a stage in front of others, to be lauded for it, where if you were doing that anywhere else, those children would be removed, your rations would be taken away, you'd lose all safety and security in your life. I mean, that's quite astounding to me. It's something I still can't really get my head around, the, the level of, of commitment and, and cunning that it requires to be able to shift in that space and a fundamental understanding of human beings and how they, how they actually exist and interact is, is amazing. And it's these types of stories that I keep finding more and more out as well and being being inspired by and seeing in that as well the history of allyship of the great Indigenous artists and performers and indeed the non-Indigenous people who sat with the privilege at the time, whether they be in the theatre companies or the institutions, whether they were other artists who wanted to collaborate, who were able to go out and say, I have these skills, what story would you like to tell? Those are stories that we don't tell. And for all of those people that come to me every time and say, oh, look, I just really don't know. I don't know if I want... Oh, are you going to be offended if I ask? And they think they have to do everything new and for the first time. There's this idea that everything has to be invented. But no, in fact, there is this tremendous history dating back certainly for the entirety of the 20th century and before that as well, but that we don't know. Stories that have meaning for all of us, black, white, brindle, wherever we come from, mm-hmm. that I think uh, it's, a, it's, a, well, I think it's a great pity oftentimes that we, don't, um, that we don't necessarily see ourselves as part of that narrative. And, you know, I mean, you, you, may, uh, you may joke coming in, Adam, that you know, does Australia need another white man? But you know what? We actually do need another we do need another white man who's who's, who's <laughs> oh! willing to, to stand up and and speak and say this type of stuff and challenge these these narratives and be in this space because you get to have the conversations that Buddy and I never get to as well. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. you know, yeah. I, you know if, if if I can if I can write an angry letter to someone on your behalf, please do let me know. I, I will have. I don't know what good it will do, but I'm very happy to. Uh, I'll take to it. become a keyboard warrior for the day. You hit it on. The, you hit the nail on the head because Adam Adam literally witnessed racism upon me in in a in a uh, Australian head 
held um, a white safe space. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I kept telling Adam, I, I was like, they're racist. They're racist. They're out to get me. And I was like, no, I don't see it. No, come on. I don't see it. And he was literally in a meeting because there was that white racist solidarity in the room where he witnessed it. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, the, I was there. And then, then looking back over the past, it was, it was, oh, how could I have not seen it before? Why was, why was I giving so much benefit of the doubt? Why, why didn't I put the two and the two together? Yeah. And then once it was there, it was mm. shame, shame on me. But, but yeah, absolutely. I, I was, I was there because, oh, Adam won't tell. Adam, Adam's in on this as well. Adam, you know, it's okay. He's one of us. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't realize that Adam was my direct pipeline. I had him, he was my plant. You know, mm-hmm. Turkey, and these are things that these are things that we've learned as as black fellas how to how to navigate. You know, it's like we get our we get our white allies, and we, it's just like it's just like will you will you please hail the cab today? <laughs> yeah, you know. But you know, like the the disturbing thing um, in all of that as well is that I totally do that too. I want to give the benefit of the doubt so often because it's so mm. crushing when you come up against it again and again and you're sort of like, is it this? Oh, okay, yes, it is that. You know, the amount of times that you find yourself going out of your way to mm. explain that thing or or things so no, it's like, I guess I know I know they use that term, mm. Cherokee, it's fine. You know, here's, here's, here's some happy music mm-hmm. to play in your head mm-hmm. for a minute. Um, just go to, go to your happy place for a moment, have a breath, come back. And then you know, then gently try to gently um, <laughs> try to tell them why they what they said is is, is so. And how was that? And how's that worked for? And how has that worked for you? Giving them the benefit of the doubt and realizing in the end that all that energy was not received. Oh, it can be. It can be rather shit. <laughs> but, but yeah, but and this is the same. Um. This is the the point that I keep returning to as well, though. Is I also feel that I need to do that for myself as well, not just necessarily for everyone around me. I I still feel that I have to be that eternal optimist mm-hmm. because as soon as I'm not then the world's kind of won, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As soon as I let it change fundamentally who I am in, in that space, mm-hmm. that's that's the challenge. And it's not, it's certainly not without its drawbacks and it's certainly very fraught. But, you know, there will be those times when I'll realise, when, when a thought from some provocation will occur, a thought will pop into my head, and thankfully now, there's increasingly there's another little voice that pops into my head soon afterwards. When that whatever that first thought might be, and the other voice comes in and goes, "Oh, that was a bit fucking colonized of you, Cherokee." <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Shit!" Oh, there it is again. Mm-hmm. And 
and you fight it down, you fight it out. But I do want oftentimes to give the benefit of the doubt to some extent or at least want to be able to think that they don't know what what has been said or done and that they're struggling okay, with the Okay, okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna ju- I'm I'm gonna jump in, brother. So I think Go. I think for myself when we're talking about like um having optimism, the optimism yeah. can only come when you really accept the truth. And I don't oh, give absolutely. Yeah, no, no, I don't right. give you know what I mean? Like I'm not giving nobody the benefit of the doubt anymore because I'm at a point in my life where your actions will always show me what I need to doubt and what I don't need to doubt. And and what happens is I've been in situations, Tiraki, where I've got I've got people that 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 espouse as allies. They're and they're really good at wearing that badge. I'm an ally. I'm on your side. And then I end up in a situation where once again, their privilege. Is being is being advancing the the problems that I'm experiencing, and I'm just like, why am I experiencing this problem right now? That I know I should do better. I say, like, yeah, but why am I experiencing this problem now? You say you're an ally, but an ally, first of all, doesn't need to tell me that they're my ally. <laughs> an ally is just an ally. You don't need to go and be like, I'm on your side. I got your back. Get show me, just get me back, pick it up. If I'm if I'm about to fall Maybe. over a cliff, you could say I meant to catch you because I was on your side. Catch my black ass. <laughs> Maybe benefit of that. Maybe benefit that is the wrong term, but I, I suppose <laughs> no, because I, I I agree with I agree with everything that you're saying, and so maybe my my use of of, of a term like benefit of the doubt isn't. Um, uh, isn't quite as uh, as accurate of hope, but I, I I think I oftentimes I would like to think that there is that the intent is perhaps different than what it, than what it is that we don't know. And just like me, just like me realizing to myself when I have oh god that was a bit fucking colonized of you, Cherokee. Mm. At that. Same time, it's that low expectations, low expectations that I have been have been fed to me throughout my entire life. Uh, to say you're only capable of this, or or you've done really well, but there are other people around you who are only capable of this, or you know, as mm. as was once said to me whilst giving a, um, a cross cultural um, workshop for. A, um, a government department that I won't um, I won't name as someone quite senior turned around to me and said, "Oh yes, 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 but you're one of the good ones." Oh, oh Cherokee, I'm sorry you and haven't it was, it experienced was, that. Ah, oh, that's that's that's, oh. that's that's just a Wednesday. That's fine. that's clearly wrong. But at the same time. Just like we don't celebrate until the stories and and see relevance in the strength and the resilience of this place and people of here for us all, just like those stories aren't told, quite often at the same time we don't 
realise, I mean, I, I consider myself to be on this continual path of trying to challenge and learn mm-hmm. more and and undo not just that which has been done to me or to my family and those around me, but that which, you know, I've carried forward with me as well, this this legacy of of an invasion that's been going on now for nearly two and a half centuries. And in so doing, seeing that, acknowledging that I have a great privilege in that space, right? You know, I was brought up with a black privilege, a black black privilege that meant I knew who my family was. I hadn't been stolen. I was incredibly fortunate. I knew where my country was, where I came from. I could return. Even though I didn't live there, I could return there. And so that I was exposed to extraordinary thinkers and and artists and activists all around me and they were just they were just family to me they were just the people that that i knew and and could ask anything of it at any point still there's a whole bunch of stuff that i carry with me in that space so i acknowledge the fact that people don't necessarily have all that stuff but at the same time it gets harder and harder to go out of one's way to make mm. other people feel comfortable, but you find yourself doing mm. it again and again and again. And that's probably the thing that I challenge myself on the most because I struggle with it. Well, do I disengage? Do I, is it, is it an either or? Is it a black and white? <laughs> is it mm-hmm. either or? Do I disengage or do I, or do I have to take that hit, suck it up, try to educate this person and move on. And I don't know if I have answers for that one immediately. It is kind of yeah. a case-by-case thing, but it keeps coming back. Seriously. Yeah. Well, I think I think I want to, I want to, I want to spin into your, your, your experiences with your family and, and the greatness of the, the greatness of artistry in your family. Can you talk about uh, your grandfather, Onus, and the beautiful documentary that you, that you just Finished? Oh yes, Bill. So yeah, my grandfather Bill was was quite interesting. I never knew him. He died twelve years before I was born, but I've always felt incredibly close to him. He lived, you know, we have these people, all, all of us do, I know, in our families that sort of live in these sort of family mythologies almost. That mm. they get they get told up sort of larger than life and so I've always felt very close. It's always been a part of me and my story. And and it was just something that I took for granted. Bill was one of the first Aboriginal business people ever, just up in up in the hills, not far from um, from where uh, you both sit right now, just outside <laughs> of Belgrave. Bill started uh, one of the first. Eighteen minutes away. Is it like eighteen owned. minutes? It'll be, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be more than that anyway. What you're, yes. So, mm. yeah, just around the corner, Bill started uh, Aboriginal Enterprises in the 1950s at a time when Aboriginal people weren't really allowed to own a deal of property or land. Most of his family was still confined to mission stations. Bill started a souvenir business, which then grew to have shops uh, all around Victoria and into South Australia, in one, and Belgrave, Narbathong, and then all the way over in Port Augusta. That he employed huge staffs of indigenous and non-indigenous people to to work for him in these in these spaces to assist him in in the manufacture of um, 
of stuff for that. He also smuggled objects off um, mission stations and government uh, stations where Aboriginal people were were held uh, against our will for multiple generations. And in amongst all of that, he also somehow found the time to, we think, be the first ever Aboriginal filmmaker. We've well, mm. certainly his films. His films are the earliest that um, that have have come to light. He was also a performer in, himself, an impresario. He went around and brought people together and put on many of these massive performances that um, I talked about earlier of hiding culture in plain sight on stages, particularly in and around Melbourne. And it's it's quite an extraordinary place to be, often Melbourne. And to think about the traditions of resistance through theatre that have gone on here in this place, at least since the um, the nineteen thirties and forties, and have been maintained right the way through. We don't necessarily tell those stories, but Bill and his contemporaries and others were right there. In that time, it's because of Bill that we have one of our um, our biggest festivals uh, in Melbourne still, the Moomba Festival, which mm, started which life as had. an all all black protest. We just had it. It was an all yeah. black protest that was held in defiance of the exclusion of Aboriginal people from the centenary celebrations of Melbourne. You know, in 1951, the Melbourne City Fathers, as they were called back then, now the Melbourne City Council, but the, 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 char- the charmingly misogynistic <laughs> and paternalistic title of Melbourne City Fathers, <laughs> decided, decided to make the, the totally unprovoked statement that there would be no Aboriginal representation in the centenary celebrations mm-hmm. for Melbourne. And so Bill, my grandfather, and his, his cousin brother, Doug Nichols, uh, so that's fine. They went down. They were they were the president and um, and secretary of the Australian Aborigines League, now the Aborigines Advancement League, which is still out in in Thornbury now. They said that's fine. They walked down to Melbourne Town Hall with a um, a wad of cash that they'd fundraised and said, "Bank, there, there's there's our deposit. We will be having three three floats in the parade. Boom. Um, we're paying for it all ourselves. There'll be three floats in the parade." of Aboriginal people chained at the neck being whipped by white overseers. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> wow. And for some reason, the Melbourne City Fathers <laughs> didn't think this was going to be a tremendously good idea. Maybe not. Maybe not so good. <laughs> and so I said, no, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Look, here's a whack of money. Just go away. Just go away. I don't, we don't care where and put on and put on your own thing. Wow. And so they did. They yeah. ran up from uh, from Swanson Street up to the top of Spring Street to the biggest, ritziest theatre that they could find, the Glorious Princess, walked in mm. there. They'd all been old unionists from way back. They knew everyone. They'd already been putting on these sort of these review shows around town and said, here's a deposit uh, we want to put on a show. And from there started gathering performers from all up and down the eastern coast of Australia to present this show called An Aboriginal Moomba Out of the Dark. It was in two halves, the first half being more of that traditional ceremony performance 
um, cultural practice, if you will, that had been had been kept safe and hidden away in whispers and families for for generations. And then the second half, being a much more contemporary or um, of the zeitgeist performance with um, with Harold Blair, Australia's first ever Aboriginal opera singer, Georgia Lee, who was an amazing um, folk and blues singer from the Torres Strait, uh, Gumleaf bands and all sorts of performances. It, it gets met with massive rave reviews. There's even talk of taking it overseas to play before the king until they realise, oh, none of these people are citizens, so they don't have passports. Mm. And if we let them out, if we let them out, they might actually talk about what's going on inside of here. Mm-hmm. And so it all rapidly gets shut down. Indeed, Bill, my grandfather, is invited to the US by none other than Walt Disney himself and gets mm. tickets bought and everything until um, ASIO, the Australian Intelligence Organisation, take his file to the US Embassy and say, I think you might need to look at Bill Onis. We're pretty sure he's a communist. <laughs> and um, mm. he has his visa cancelled, he's, he's fingerprinted, he's, uh, he's, he's put on a register and he's, he's not allowed to go. Such was the fear that Aboriginal people would leave Australia and talk about what was happening inside here. But still, these performances got out to the world. I mean, you had even even a very young uh, John Pertwee, long before he was Doctor Who or Wurzel Gummidge, jumped on a boat and came over here as an ethnomusicologist to actually record uh, all of this content. Bob Robson. Back then. Back then in the 50s. Like, these stories are still getting around. And it's from this that whilst our artists aren't able to go to the world, the world starts coming to us. Mm-hmm. And so whenever significant significant artists from around the world are coming into Melbourne, they're being taken on tours. So quite often they jump in a car in Melbourne, they'd be driven out to Hillsville to hold a koala. They'd go across, again, not far from um, from you, to the uh, to the William Ricketts Sanctuary <laughs> to look at all the sculptures, and then they would they'd come back down the hill through Belgrave to Bellonis' shop to learn the drop bears. Do they take they take them to the, the, drop, the, drop, well, the, the drop bears. I mean, that's the, the ones. It's, it's always a drop bear that you don't see that gets you there. That's the scary one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they they come past Bill's shop to learn to throw a boomerang, and, and Bill Onis will teach them. And so <laughs> yeah, oh, that's there, amazing. That's amazing. That's right. And so from I mean, we've got old home home movie footage of Harry Belafonte learning to throw boomerangs at the front of. Wow! At front of my grandfather's shop, there's um, there are all these stories of the of how black performers and activists connected up with other performers of color when they were when they were coming through. Um, before that, there'd been a huge connection with Paul Robeson when he came along, yeah, uh, as well. And yeah, and Robeson was was. Incredible. I mean, the work that Robeson did over here and, and his commitment to take on and, and to start telling the world mm-hmm. about everything that had been going on here in Australia was was quite extraordinary. I mean, so was um, so was Harry Belafonte uh, and others. And, and I mean, a lot, a lot of us. Yeah, exactly. Same thing happened. They and get their own ASIO files here as well. 
so much of this work, of this performative work, ties in with the contemporary resistance of the day as well. You've got the Australian Aborigines or the Aborigines Advancement League, as it later became here in Melbourne. You've got the Aborigines Progressive Association in uh, in Sydney, which is set up by Jack Patton, Bill's my grandfather's former brother-in-law. And <laughs> Jack sets a lot of this up along the same lines as uh, Marcus Garvey's uh, Negro Association, which is set up in ports all around the world. That there's again this idea of solidarity coming in, and the stories of solidarity start being told far and wide, and they happen here through theatre. I mean, where you and I work, Buddy, literally a couple of hundred metres away at the art centre was the site of Worth's Olympia, a full, permanent, full-time circus that operated for, for years and years. It was a massive hit during World War II. It burned down in about 1956 or something. But here in Worth's Olympia, because so many Aboriginal people had come from the travelling shows, from show trains, that was one of the ways you could move around as an Aboriginal person back when your life was so constrained. They had all of these relationships. Worth's Olympia would host these arena spectacular corroboree performances that would be put on for for paying members of the public to come and see people ostensibly breaking the law there on stage but not being touched because they were performers. You know, it's 69 Flinders Street, just across the other side of the Bureau, just across the other side of the river, was the new theatre, a socialist workers' theatre, that in 1946 were co-writing and producing performances with the Australian Aborigines League in protest of things like the the rocket testing ranges that were being made out of, built out in Woomera in South Australia or in support of the Pilbara Strike, the longest-running industrial action in Australia's history because it's still going on now, strike of Aboriginal people in 1946 out in the far west of Australia that the majority of people didn't even know about but it was being put on in stages. And again, extraordinary non-Indigenous performers who were coming together to make this work. At a time when, the, when mainstream Australia is appropriating Aboriginal culture, left, right and centre, because they've mm-hmm. thrown everything mm-hmm. else out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. everyone comes back from World War II and says, shit, we have no identity left. Well, let's just take some of theirs. Mm-hmm. At the same time that, that modernism is sweeping through Australia and Aboriginal culture is being appropriated everywhere, there is this undercurrent, this totally antithetical movement of artists who are using their privilege to empower black voice and make extraordinary work that is being told. And the the lineage of that work continues on to those of us who are still practising now. Mm. Mm. Can we... Sorry, I'm getting my soapbox. Yeah, I love your soapbox. I know you love my okay, soapbox. So That's why I do it for you. I, 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 I just need to add, I, I just need, I really want people to understand the importance of land to an indigenous body in Australia. Because I experience it as a foreigner and I experienced the, the relationship to land for myself and the, the like the, I had literally have conversations 
like that mm-hmm. Adam and I Adam Adam experience we can he can attest to it we we did a rehearsal outside and right when we started rehearsing a bird came and checked us out and had a conversation with us before I started working and it, it was it was it was clearly it was clearly the nature talking to us like literally so can you can you tr- can you attempt to give us a a, a, a kind of a an intersection subjectively what is it, what does what does land feel like to you as a as an indigenous person in on on land here in Australia? Hmm. You only ask the big questions, don't you, Buddy Miller? <laughs> I own um, you, baby. Oh no, and I love it. I love it. <laughs> I don't tend to. Well, I'm I'm going to split hairs, but I think it's an important hair to split. I don't tend to think, and yes, I will talk about things like land rights, that's a term people use, and absolutely. Mm. Land in and of itself is one aspect of this, certainly. You'll find oftentimes many, if not most, if not all, Aboriginal people will talk about this notion of country with a capital C. You know, whose country we're on currently, where my country lies. And that idea of country is... So all encompassing that country is is everything. It's, it's it's it is land. Certainly, it's everything that grows from it. It's it's also all of the voices and all of the experience and all of the narrative that has been poured into it, either wittingly or unwittingly. That. It holds us, our histories, our past, our knowledges, and it will take us forward. And I I believe quite firmly that those of us who are open, and I think it's it's attested to in in the story that you just recounted, I believe that all of us can, can hear the voice of that country, all of those stories that come back. When we dance upon it, we beat our feet into that earth so that we create that resonance, so that we communicate with this place. I mean, it's, Arthur Phillip has records that he wrote in the very early days of Melbourne, where Government House on the, in, in Melbourne now stands, and the lawns in front of that was one of the last big Najis or corroborees of, of the Bunwarung and the rest of the Kulin Nation, and talks about hundreds of dancers all working in sync to the point where the earth itself shook. Mm. This idea of having to perform who you are and your connection to place is so much part of it. It's a lived experience and and it's ongoing. It's reciprocal that we're not separated from country, that we have an obligation to it. And English doesn't really isn't really fit for purpose in these conversations, and that's the trouble. You know, people will often, it's all, you know, should I, should I say traditional owners or custodians or this or that? It's like, none of these work. Hmm. I like to talk about sovereign owners of places, and I like to talk in terms of ownership, although it is not necessarily culturally accurate. We talk, we, we'll be talking much more in terms of obligation and connection, but it's important, I think, to talk in terms of ownership because that's what people understand. Freehold title of land and the holding of same and the inherent rights that come with that 
is something that people people understand and get. So I do. I speak from mm. that concept of of ownership, even though it's not you know, technically uh, exactly right. Here we're quite hard to digress. Country is everything. It's where we put our stories. It's where we come from. It's where we're going to return to. And it's immutable. It lasts forever. And it doesn't matter if you put asphalt and concrete and brick and wood and whatever and glass on top of it. You can't stop it. Sometimes terms like being on country, in inverted commas, will people will think of it as a shorthand for being in regional, rural or remote areas, out in the bush. But we're always on country. We're always somewhere where those 3,000-plus generations of practice and creation have gone on, where stories have been told, where dances have been danced, where songs have been sung, where art has been made, and where we have reaffirmed our connection not just to this place but to one another and that communal obligation that we all hold to not just look after ourselves and not just look after a place but to care for one another in this space deep and complex diplomacies that give others voice and see to it that no no voice speaks louder than another, but rather they're all held and shared in this space. That, for me, is is significant. When I go back to my own country, if I go to Jarjawaran country, if I drive you know, an hour and a half northwest of here and get to Jarjawaran country, there's something quite powerful in that, in walking in that place where my grandmothers and my grandfathers have walked for all that time. Same if I go to Yorta Yorta country or Waveru or Wurrungjinnung or wherever else. The, the opportunity to sit and be in a place and know that you're doing something, and I think this is true for all of us, to be able to sit and be in a place and know that you are doing something, mm. as if it's as an artist making if it's as a storyteller sharing stories, if it is you sitting down to celebrate your family and those that you love around you, doing something that another person has done in that spot for thousands upon thousands of generations. Like there's an ice age in there for crying out loud. That's what it is. <laughs> there's something wonderfully humanising about that, that we've all got a space like that that we can hold. And, I, and therein, I think, lies a great deal of the potential. Because I think that all of us, wherever we come from, have got the opportunity and the potential to celebrate the stories of country and place without appropriating, without taking away, without putting our label on it, but to be able to turn around and say, shit, I learned this today, that this happened on Bunurong Country. Isn't this fascinating? <laughs> we can we can we can amplify those stories without the fear of getting it wrong and the fear of appropriation things like that. Give it its due. Say where it comes from. Empower that story and that voice. Revel in it and talk about what has relevance for you. Why it has meaningfulness to you. Mm -hmm. That would be that would be kind of nice. I think I'd be I'd be pretty impressed oh, with yeah. um, with that type of world if we could if we could but live there. And the reality is we can. Mm but we have to cast off some of the shackles that we have all been held with and a legacy mm. of invasion that has sought to diminish mm. 
and marginalise the voice of this place because that makes it easier to unjustly expropriate a land base from a people's. When you take away the stories, when you take away those connections. Mm. But I'm fortunate. I'm still here. And after all these all these generations, there have been people much stronger than me who have stood up again and again and again and, and fought through. And, and now I get to have extraordinary conversations with wonderful people such as yourselves through um, through wonderful new emergent technologies and there are people that, that, that there are people that give me title and there are people out there that are stupid enough to pay me to do stuff that I would be doing for free so it's been weird in my Oh yes, oh yes. Well, this is that's a perfect, that's a perfect segue, because we have to do provocations. I think I think what we need to do is um, uh, take a break and come back. Jack's going to play some beautiful music. He's going to play some beautiful music that's going to set the mood for what we're coming out of and what we're going into. So we're going to go into some provocations for our listeners. And I also wanted to just to add on, um, Adam and I were having a conversation about, because every time, every time I wake up to your key and I look out, I am filled with gratitude. I am like, Oh my goodness, God, thank you for letting me experience this world. And it's, and then, and, and then I was saying to Adam, I was like, I, I, this whole concept of owning land of like, you know, I've, I've got a, I've got, uh, a, a deed and, and, and a mortgage. And I was like, I, I can't, I don't, who can own this? And Adam said, what'd you say, Adam? I said, you're not owning it. You're, you're just taking care of it for now. And he said, you can own the house, but you can't own the land. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, let's go into some provocations mm-hmm. and, and get these get our listeners doing things, getting them active. Take it away, Jack. We're back. Thank you, Jack. That was so perfect. Always. He's always comes through. He always comes through. By the way, by the way, Tierkey, Jack is one of us as well. Jack, Jack is VCA uh interactive composition. I stole him. I oh, know we had he a was, chat he... before um, while you were still <laughs> hassling with your technology getting online. We stole it from Mark Pollard. I love it. Hi Mark. Yeah. <laughs> so Tierkey. Come on now. I know you got some provocations for our listeners. Mm, what do. are your provocations? What do you what do you, how do you want to get them going? I wonder. You see, if there's one thing I can do, and I've I've made this comment quite a bit recently, but um I'll make it again because I think it's a good one. And it comes off slightly glib, but I do mean it. If there's one thing I can do in the amount of time that I have and with the platform that I enjoy, I hope I can assist people around me in being pissed off. (laughs) I hope I can assist people around me to be pissed off about 
that which they've missed out on. Because, you know, the, the narratives of, of exclusion, or don't look on, oh, that's, that's, that's for them, that's not for you. No, no. I've never experienced those growing up all over this continent in multiple different nations. I haven't experienced that. What I have experienced is people who were incredibly generous, want their stories told, want stories to survive, but also want to do that according to the diplomacies and the, and the laws, LAW and LORES, of the country upon which they stand. Mm. But so much of us, so many of us miss out. You know, I said, as I said at the start of the podcast, I'm a guest here on Bunurang Country. I'm incredibly fortunate that I have an opportunity to engage and tell these stories, but it's through the work that I do in engaging and and connecting with those who do speak for this place for this place that I'm able to do that stuff, and that's not something which is singular to me. That all of us have that opportunity to engage and to tell those stories and to celebrate and amplify those voices. And I hope people can be pissed off about what they've missed out on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that good. There are stories here that that I think have relevance for all of us. And I suppose you know the provocation I would I would I would humbly offer to others is to say maybe go out and see what you can be pissed off about. What stories are there around you that you haven't been told? And if it's a hard hard to access and hard to find your way in, where are the stories that have that immediate relevance for you? Who are the heroes from your own cultural background, from your own world that have chosen to step across those abysses? How can we have a strength-based conversation that does away with mm. with mm-hmm. The deficit, which does away with people wanting to talk to you with their head on their side. Oh, you get that all the time. Yeah, so straighten yeah. Straighten your head up. Straighten yeah, your head up. Come on. But it happens There's a lyric. There's a lyric. You can't wear. You can't wear a crown with your head bowed. Oh, I like that. I think that's from God is King. I think that's from that's that's some Beyonce stuff. That's one of her guest artists. <laughs> you can't wear a crown with your head bowed, y'all. <laughs> And how true. I mean, this is just it. So, please be pissed off. I am, but I just choose. To, I, speak. I choose. I choose to challenge it. And I choose to channel it rather into. Oh, that was a Freudian slip. But I choose to channel it into the things that make me excited and make me want to get up and and do more things. Because there are so many yeah. conversations out there to be had. You know, I get to make this film a blaze about my grandfather because. A beautiful dear friend yeah. of Paul, who has now become a friend of mine, who I wasn't friends with before. But crazy, it's called a blaze, y'all. The the the, the documentary is called a blaze. It is, and we'll be doing its theatrical release next month in May. To begin. Oh, um, or what? this month by the time this comes out. Yes, um, and yeah. then it'll be going around, and and hopefully we'll get onto some um, some other streaming services and things like that. But but I digress. It's so good, y'all. I had a peak. I had a peak preview. You must go and buy your tickets. If you're in Australia, you must. When, do we do we have the dates for that, Cherokee? Um, starting 
26th of May, I think. Um, it'll be in every yes, major the, at the... Um, city. Oh, so it'll be doing sort of niche theatres and things uh, around the place. But um, a blaze, y'all. Yeah, 20, a blaze. 26th of May. But, you know, I, I made that film because a dear friend of mine, Alec Morgan, a fantastic collaborator and ally, and has been an ally working with Indigenous filmmakers and storytellers for the best part of over 40 years now, came to me because he found this film, Lost Film of My Grandfather's in the Archive from 1946, and because he had all of these skills and he wants he wants to redress the balance and tell the story because he's, he's so frustrated and pissed off about what, He's missed out on it. He's done it extraordinarily. Alec has got a history of working with Indigenous artists and makers stretching right back into the 70s. And he's not alone. And the reality is that all of us have got skills and knowledge that we bring to bear in these spaces. And there are great stories of strength and and wonderful humanising tales which are there for all of us doesn't matter the same way we we draw strength from from stories around the world whether it be greek tragedies or stories of uh, of resistance and strength in in contemporary history it doesn't doesn't make any difference they're all out there it's all there for us and it does require us though, to be a little bit upset because it's not yeah. our fault that we don't know. It's not our fault that we don't know. Yeah, yeah. We've been left yeah. with we've been left with a bit of a shit fire that we get to clean up if we choose to. And also, by that same token, if we don't, that's fine. I mean, for me alone, there's another twenty something odd million people in this in this continent that I've still got to try to get to at some point or other to try to to try to get them along. But if people and if people don't want to, that's fine. But um Maybe don't get in the way, yeah. but yeah. be an ally, be the space. Come, hold it. You're very welcome. You know, and Adam, I meant it. I will. I will write angry letters to him if I need to. <laughs> I think, <yeah. laughs> we need. We need more allies. We do need more people coming in yeah. and and telling these stories because, my God, you know, once once we get over the the crap that we've been left with once we get over the, the crippling doubt and fear and guilt and shame. Okay. And I, just had, I just, I just, I'm, I'm taking on your provocation. I'm already taking on your provocation. I'm already taking on your provocation. This is, I'm taking this on y'all. So Turkey, mm. would you be willing to have a moment on the podcast? We decide when it happens where we bring in more First Nations artists with you, the four of us chatting. I think it sounds like a good idea. I'll be up for that. I mean, you don't need me. I'm very happy no. to do it. You can just no, no. I want, but I want you. I want you. I want you in the space. I want you in the space, mm-hmm. Tiriki. I, you're, 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 you're one of our boys. You're the homeboy. You know. You're, you're, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, we get Uncle Jack. You know, Auntie Carolyn. Mm-hmm. You know, but like, uh, get some elders in the space as well, so our mm-hmm. listeners can really understand the importance of elders, and and what happens idea. to the vibration in a room when an elder speaks. 
because the first time I spoke to Auntie Carolyn, I I I was tra- I was literally transported to another dimension. Like the time stopped. I I I was getting I was getting like text <laughs> messages from people going, and I was like, um, I actually can't move my hands right now. I have to continue sis- sitting and listening to this elder speak because I am in another cosmic order and <laughs> nothing else mattered. <laughs> so, and I think it's important for, because you know, my research talks to there's talks to in the elder space. If you choose to take on this provocation that you've given, Mr. So I would love to take on your provocation. Y'all, this is what I'm taking on Tyrakee. He's going to be a regular on the show. So that means that you can also send going to be regular and respond to Adam, what do you think? For us to engage in. I know Mark Nanup out there has got a lot to say, Mark. So Mark, we may need to bring Mark on. we got to bring Mark on and have a conversation because, you know, he's he's the next generation and he's he's walking. He's walking. You You hear that, Mark Nanup? There's your provocation. You have to come on the podcast. Because <laughs> he called us old. Turkey, he called us old. He's like, you need to get younger artists on the you're, you got You're all old. You're all old. All right. Like, uh, for status, Mark is older than he looks. I, I know. know. He can, I know exactly. He, I'm not going to tell everyone how old Mark is. I know he can play like 19. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he's just very fortunate, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love him, but it's true. <laughs> I, Adam, I think this, I think Cherokee's provocation is enough because look at we are, we already have we already have a whole another segment with with it's the Cherokee show. <laughs> Cherokee and the people, Cherokee and the people, Cherokee bringing the people. <laughs> so how would how would we know that people did this, Adam? Well, they're going to go to speakpipe.com backslash theater of others. You can speakpipe.com backslash theater of others, theater with an R-E, theater of others, all one word. You can leave a 90-second voicemail there. We'll play it on air, and we would love your questions, of course. But if you're not a voicemail kind of person, you want to leave us an email at podcast at theater of others. We also Mm. are on Instagram, Facebook, and our website, where you can leave a message there. We're on the gram, y'all. And... uh, (laughs) What do they need to do, Booty? What is it very, very important that they, they do? They need to subscribe, 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 subscribe. How are you going to know? How are you going to catch the Tyrakee Hour? Come on. <laughs> subscribe. You got to get into the conversation, y'all. And then if you really like us, you can do like my Uber driver and give us five star. Mm-hmm. You give me five star, I give you five star. Give me five star, I give you five star. <laughs> yep. Swept up, swept Cherokee. up, swept up, Cherokee, swept up. <laughs> Cherokee, you're you're one of you're another now. Cherokee is now another. You have been swept up into the company. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I feel I feel quite humbled and. Uh... And blessed, it really is wonderful. But then, and thank you for having me on. It's, it's it's great to have the opportunity just to. Well, I realize it wasn't so much of a conversation; it was really me just sort of proselytizing for an hour and fifteen minutes. But thank you for letting me. <laughs> thank you for giving me a soapbox. It's okay. It's okay. We're happy to be apostles to your proselytizing. <laughs> yes, amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> so I think um, we'll see y'all next week, y'all, and. Um, Adam, mm-hmm. I'll see you. I'll just like walk over and shake your hand. Yeah, right, exactly. I'll see. I'll see you in three and a half seconds. <laughs> it's like the, the, the like the like sign off is so different now because normally I'm like, I love you, Adam. Give your love it's to your so dog. Good to see you. Tell your wife I You're love so you. You're so far away. I, love, oh, yeah. oh, I haven't seen Akshay in forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
All lies. All lies now. All lies. All <laughs> lies. <laughs> well, Tiriki, I love you so much, and I'm so glad that Thank you've you. agreed to take on our provocation. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. So I, I can't wait for next time. It's a joy. It's, yes. it's going to be so good, y'all. Stay tuned, y'all, for the next Tiriki Hour, and come back next week, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Theater Brothers Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, theaterbrothers.org, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out, too. A special thank you to Purple Planet for the music you've heard. The Theater Brothers creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purposes of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and times. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary, and they are witness to what happens. And you get to be witness to us making that happen. The purpose of this podcast is to open up our process and let you in. We're peeling back the curtain, so to speak, and encouraging you to follow along, to ponder, prod, and question, to join us and criticize us if need be. Being a witness is no passive task and requires much from you. Are you up for the journey? Be sure to tune in next week for our next journey. <laughs>